Hello, and welcome to We Live for Saturday, your favorite college football podcast. I'm your co-host, Mike, and with me as always is your other co-host, John. John, how are you doing today? Doing all right, man. Um, had a... Uh fun watching the games yesterday um you know some of them uh, but there were just a lot of blowouts man so a lot of one-sided victories um there was some interesting halves i guess if you will yep so you know we'll we'll get to that and talk all about those but uh yeah we're ready to go through all this yeah it was a lot bit of a lopsided saturday but we're happy to talk about those as well um first of all we'll talk about a little news quick um Indiana has fired offensive coordinator Walt Bell. Um, so that is an interesting move in season. You know, things have gotten to kind of a desperate place when you make a coordinator firing midseason. Um, it'll be interesting to say, see you assume they'll promote from within because that's usually what happens in season. It's pretty hard to bring in someone from outside the program. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what kind of changes that makes to what Indiana is doing. Frankly, I thought the biggest mystery of the Walt Bell era at Indiana is that he got hired in the first place. Yeah. He's not a guy who's had a lot of success in his past stops. And I always think it's interesting when coaches hire assistants who haven't been very successful. And it's like, I don't know if they interview well or they think they see potential or whatever. But um, in this case, Walt Bell did not have a great resume coming in for success. And now he has not backed it up and he has been fired and relieved of his job. Well, it makes you wonder if, you know, at the time anyways, Tom Allen didn't, there weren't many options to go around. And then, so he kind of got stuck with, this was the best of a bad situation, maybe. Yeah. I mean, there's no way to know. You'd have to ask Tom Allen that, and I'm sure he would not give you a straight answer. (laughs) No, he would not. Yeah. All right. And then there were some injuries we want to talk about as well. Um, For Northwestern, Ben Bryant, quarterback Ben Bryant left uh, the game, uh, left the Penn state game during it with an injury. And that seemed to sort of let the air out of Northwestern sales when that happened. Um, mm-hmm. John, did you see how, have, has there been any comment to how serious that is? I haven't heard anything. Um, you know, not that I've paid as close attention to it as I probably should. I haven't read anything about it yet. Um, I assume something will probably be coming out, you know, relatively soon about that, but he did not come back and it definitely looked like the offense started to sputter out at that point in time. Yeah. And then a couple other injuries, quarterback Cade McNamara had to leave fairly early in the Michigan state um, game. He had a non-contact injury. It looked like it was his leg again. So he was not able to put any weight or anything on it coming off the field. So, you know, you certainly hope he's okay, but it definitely changes. It changes things for Iowa. If Cade is out for a significant length of time, or if this is a season ender, um, John, what do you think about that one? Yeah, that's a big blow. Um, you know, I don't know enough about Deacon Hill. I know he's a huge, huge unit of a quarterback, um, but I didn't see anything, at least, and this was just him picking up in the middle of that area, well, towards the beginning of the game. But I, I don't know enough yet. I got to see where he where he goes um, with this with this team. Um, but it's definitely a big blow losing, you know, Lachey first and now McNamara and your top two running backs. I mean, it's just it's just one thing after another with Iowa, man. That's that's brutal. Yeah, it's too bad. And uh, also go for starting wide receiver uh, Lamecki Brockington. 
Um, looked like they had to was injured. Looked like they had to pull out the air cast. And there's no official word, but the rumor behind the scenes is that he's probably done for the year. So he's a guy who's played better and better. Really going back to last year, he's really evolved as a player. Um, so it's too bad to see to see all of these guys injured. Obviously, we hate injuries; they're the worst part of the game. Yep. Yeah, you're gonna have to see Elijah Spencer step up and and look as good as hopefully look as good as he did in the spring uh, in during spring ball. Yeah, he's gonna get a lot more snaps now, so he's gonna certainly have to rise to the occasion. Yep. All right, and John, do you have an announcement you wanted to make? Yes, uh, as always, uh, we live for Saturday can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podcast Addict. And you can find us on Twitter at we live for B1G Sat. That's at we live for B1G Sat. Please give us a follow. Five star reviews would be great. You can love us, hate us, be indifferent. We don't care. Five star review. That's all we ask. Thank you. Yes. Feel free to rip us in that review. So there's no, it doesn't have to say nice things. We just want it to be five stars. That'll help more people find the, uh, podcast and then they can either listen to it in joy or in hate as you do and i shouldn't say we don't care i should we do care but we can take it let's put it that way we can take the criticism and we appreciate constructive criticism so anything you got we'd love to hear it absolutely all right let's get into the slate of games so these were you know pretty lopsided so it's possible we we won't spend quite as much time breaking down every game this week as we usually do so this might be a somewhat quicker than usual episode but then again we've said that before and then we've rambled on at length so (laughs) i guess you'll find out with us in real time how long we're gonna go (laughs) so we had the first game of this uh review of week five the number six penn state nittany lions 41 northwestern wildcats 13 total yards penn state had 353 to northwestern's 175 175 that's that is a little bit that's a little bit rough but um well northwestern managed just 45 yards rushing on 1.4 yards per rush so they can't but run the ball which has been their issue all year however they played really inspired in the first half and into the third quarter uh they were ahead early and ultimately tied 10 10 at halftime against the nittany lions and then it was somewhat it was it was into the third quarter when uh when penn state finally scored to go ahead for good as well um, in the second half, Drew Aller threw for a touchdown and then ran for another as Penn State pulled away. James Franklin said, that was my message to my team. The first half is gone. Let's play really well in the second half. Aller completed 18 of 33 passes for 189 yards. He scored from the one on Penn State's first possession of the second half and threw a two-yard TD to Nick Singleton in the closing minutes of the third to make it a 17-point game. Singleton ran for 80 yards and a score to go with his touchdown catch. Trey Potts ran for a TD and caught one. Keandre Lambert-Smith caught four passes for 86 yards, and the defense produced seven sacks, helping Penn State pull away for a lopsided win. Uh, For Northwestern, Cam Johnson at 81 yards receiving, but the Wildcats managed just 175 yards overall against the nation's number one defense, and a lot of that was in the first half. Um, despite James Franklin's warning that Evanston would be sleepy at 11 a.m., Penn State slept walk through the first half a bit before turning it on in the second half to come out with a dominant victory. And here's a wild stat, John. Penn State has won by at least 14 in each game 
since last year's loss to Ohio State. Wow. That's a wild stat. And P, uh, Penn State isn't just winning. They're crushing teams. So, John, what would you think about this one? Well, you know, I know the score said what it was, but I don't think that was necessarily the whole story of the game. I think this Northwestern team really was, it looked like was giving them a run for their money for about two and a half quarters because Penn State did not pull ahead until the 840 mark in the third quarter, which is unusual, especially for this team, Northwestern, which is was told to be the worst team in the Big Ten. Um this year. And basically what I saw was at the beginning of the game, um, Bryant seemed to have picked up, you know, in some ways where he left off with the, against Minnesota and that offense had a lot, um, that they still wanted to prove. And same thing with the defense, the defense showed up big time. The secondary looked good. Their linebacking core, the D line was like holding strong on the, on the, uh, the goal line against, um, against Penn state's rushing attack. I mean, this was not an easy win, for Penn State, don't let the score fool you. This was hard up until the fourth quarter, where I think really what what won you know won the game for Penn State was just a a, a massive talent gap essentially, and that just more depth. Um, because Northwestern was giving it to them. I don't think it was necessarily that Northwestern was like the better team, but you could see them really putting up a fight where I didn't expect this to happen, and especially against Penn State and and Aller. To me, he looked like just something was kind of off all game. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if maybe he's dinged up or his head just wasn't in the game. Like we talked about, the whole team looked like they were asleep until for about two and a half quarters um, until they finally got their, you know, their stuff together. Um, but, you know, it started out bad for Penn State right away with the uh, there was a, a recovered or a fumble on the the kickoff that Northwestern recovered and was able right. to, to I, they were able to get three off of that. But. Yeah, they, man, Penn State just looked messy. They looked messy. Yes, they got it together, especially in the fourth quarter. But yeah, I, and honestly, I don't know if Bryant had still been in the game. I don't think that Northwestern still would have won, but I think the score would probably would have been a lot closer. I think we saw thought coming into this year that Northwestern was going to be an easy out. And I think what they're showing is that there are no easy outs in the Big Ten. Yep. Everybody's got players. Everybody can hurt you. Everybody can make it interesting with you if you don't show up. And there also aren't, isn't that one juggernaut team that's totally unstoppable, at least at this point. You know, the three three best teams in the Big Ten have shown their vulnerabilities at different times. Mm. So it's just a really, really competitive Big Ten this year, which is, you know, makes it unpredictable and a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it was a better, better game than I, I thought it was going to be. Yeah. All right. With the win, number six, Penn State moves to five and zero. Oh. With the loss, Northwestern drops to two and three. Should we move on to the next one? Let's do that. All right. We had the Minnesota Golden Gophers thirty-five, the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns twenty-four. Total yards: Louisiana had three hundred and forty-nine to Minnesota's three hundred and forty-seven. Uh, The tail of the game was key downs. Minnesota was an impressive 10 for 16 on third and fourth downs, including a fourth down pass late in the game to seal the victory at that point, making it 35-17 late. Um, It was also a tale of key of two halves. In the first half, Minnesota's defense played poorly. They were bad in their run fits. The secondary had too many broken coverages, and they just weren't ready to play, the defense particularly. 
Um, by contrast, Minnesota's offense played pretty well in the first half overall, aside from the late half interception from Cali Ekmanis. Um, Louisiana played well on both sides of the ball in the first half and had a 17-14 lead at the half. Um, the second half, however, was pretty much all Gophers. Minnesota rattled off 21 consecutive points to take total control of the game. They were up 35-17 when Louisiana scored that late TD to make it 35-24. Uh, for Louisiana, Zeon Chris was 14 of 25 for 172 yards, two TDs, but also two costly interceptions. He had 74 yards rushing, mostly in the first half when Minnesota was allowing Louisiana to run wild before they clapped down after halftime. Um, for Minnesota, Ethan Kelly McManus was an efficient 12 for 14 for 146 yards on 10.4 yards per attempt, two TDs, and that one terrible pick late in the first half. Um, Daniel Jackson deserves a shout out with five catches for 89 yards and two TDs, including the game clinching, uh, fourth down TD catch. And then Zach Evans had 15 carries for 85 yards. Our, your guy, John, and was finally, yes. And was a revelation in the place of the injured Darius Taylor. Um, so they should form a formidable one-two punch going forward with Sean Tyler, maybe the odd man out at this point, despite a respectable 10-yard carries for 47 yards. Uh, Minnesota got contributions from all three of their backup RBs in the absence of Taylor. But I think it's clear that when Taylor comes back, he should be RB1, Evan should be RB2, and then Bryce Williams is probably your passing downs back, but it's but Evans played well enough that he should continue to get carries even when Darius Taylor comes back. John, what do you think about uh, the running back situation? What do you think about the game as a whole? Well, it's kind of like someone's been talking about this, and not just me, but like literally the entire Gopher fan base asking, yeah. "Where is Zach Evans?" Calling for him, and finally you see what he can do, what we've been told for years now of what this kid is capable of doing. And he, we saw it a little bit last year. We saw it last year before he got banged up. Yeah. We saw it last year and he showed out and this is what I've been talking about. And this is what needs to stay. PJ, please keep it this way. Like you just said, Darius, Zach, Bryce Williams, you can throw in some Sean Tyler there on, you know, on some, you know, some maybe some passing plays and whatever. That'd be great. You know, you can work him in. Frankly, I'd prefer him uh, returning kicks as we saw, um, you know, Redding kind of mess up again. Um, So that doesn't give me a lot of confidence, but I doubt that'll change. Um, We can talk special teams. Yeah, we'll talk special teams. But right now. Um, like I'll stay to stick to just the offense and the defense and, you know, opening the opening drive, man, it looked like PJ and, and, uh, and company haven't learned anything from last week. It looked like we were just going to repeat exactly what we did, uh, in the Northwestern game. The defense still looks like it has trouble. I do, man, Lind- Cody Lindenberg is just sorely missed. And if we don't get him back soon, or maybe we won't, you know, but I, you know, I, I think that having, not having a leader in the linebacking core is definitely causing some problems. Um, but I think the, the D line looked really good. They're still missing some tackles in the backfield, but like they're getting penetration and getting pressures. And that's really good to see. Um, the tackling was a little rough in that first half. Uh, but I gotta say, you know, going back to the offense though, the offensive line looks good. Um, I ha- I like the way they're yeah. blocking. They're giving Ethan some time in the pocket. Their the run blocking looks solid. Um, the receivers were actually catching balls, other than you know um, 
I guess like the one catch from Brevin Spanford, except, you know, he went down as soon as he touched the ground because, you know, a gust of wind blow knocks him, not knocks him over now. So I don't know what's going on with him, but um, which is really frustrating. But I did like that, that they were rotating, uh, you know, caller up and gears in there, which they should at this point. I'm sorry, Brevin. You know, I've been a big fan of yours for a long time, but like something's up. And I mean, they're and, not playing great either. It's the whole. Yeah. In fact, allegedly, there's a new tight end coach. Oh, is what Ryan Burns was saying that there was a different different staff member working with the tight ends and then that maybe they made a switch behind the scenes. Well, this is news to me. Yeah, I okay. don't know. I mean, I don't know. I've just like I I have to look at that again to see if that's for for real or not. But well, I mean, I guess it is, would... it's a bad enough situation that the point is it's a bad enough situation that that's even being discussed as a possibility. True. So there's there is clearly something wrong with the tight ends. And uh, but, you know, despite that, our wide receivers looked good. Um, Running backs looked good. Ethan looked good. You know, he made some costly mistakes, but overall, I think he's getting better. And we expected that he was 12 for 14. He didn't like he holds the ball too long sometimes. Yes, I don't. But I don't think he other than the one pick, he didn't really throw. You know, he didn't make any. I think the other pass was incompletion may have even been a throwaway yeah and I, I don't i'm not saying he looked bad i'm just saying i think he's still you're you're expecting to see some of those big mistakes sometimes because he's still young and he's still developing i think you know by this time next year that could be a whole nother story you know or even at toward at the end of the season you know um but overall i was i i think it's weird how i've kind of changed thinking like our defense was our solid unit and now i think i feel more comfortable with our offense than i do our defense even though they did show up better towards the end of the game I mean, the whole second half, they were dominant outside of one run. The defense yeah. was. I mean, here's what I'll say, though. Okay. It's you can talk about the players, but when we're talking about the coaches, Minnesota came out at the beginning of that first half running man press on the outside, which Zeon Chris is a dual threat quarterback. If you have man press, that means there's no one spying the quarterback. There's no one in the middle to take away those running lanes. And he was just taking off. And he, when he saw that, he was just taking off and running. Yeah. So that was a weird way to start the game against a team where you know he wants to run the ball. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you'd show him a coverage that's begging him to run the ball, which well, is what they been... did early in that half. And so when they switched away from that and ran a lot more zone stuff, then you know those running lanes went away, and then Minnesota shut it down. So I don't like. I think Joe Rossi is a great coordinator and everything, but that was a weird decision to start the game. Well, and, and it's not the first time we've seen this this season with the when we're fa- when Minnesota's facing off against these dual threat quarterbacks. And I'm confused now at this point, like, you know, what's coming yet. It seems like you're just totally caught off guard and unprepared. And it takes you a, like two quarters to, to figure that out. I don't I, that's what I'm confused about. So, yeah, it's it, coaching. I'm a little baffled right now with Joe Rossi. Yeah, Um but it was good to see the receivers play well. Yeah. Um, it was good to see the running game so effective. And the fact that Minnesota dominated the second half the way it did um, was really impressive. And I think especially after, you know, that heartbreaking loss last week, you know, Minnesota could have come out and played a lot of different ways. And, you know, they played, they came out and played well. And they had guys step up on defense. Um, Tyler Newbin came up big. Yep. Um once again with a pick. 
Uh, Jack Henderson had a huge day. Yeah. Um, so there were guys on defense who were playing really well up front. The defensive line played pretty well. Um, Anthony Smith showed some flashes. So I think this was the most encouraging. The second half of the game was the, was the best half of football. I think Minnesota has played this year. So yeah, I agree. I agree. I just want to, I'm, you know, I know there's really no answers. Um, and all of Gopher fandom has been, you know, lost and confused on this subject for a long time, but special teams, it's just another year of terrible special teams. And I don't know what will ever change if it can ever change. Even so if though- you didn't see the, the, the game at one point, Minnesota's returner, Quentin Redding fielded a kick that was going out of bounds on the kickoff. So instead of getting the ball, you know, way out with great field position, they ended up with it on like the five yard line. Yep. Um, and it was just, it was just stuff like that was happening kind of throughout the game. And there was a diving return catch at one point on a punt. I mean, he's just, he's not, he's not trustworthy out there and nobody else is getting a chance. And it's like, if we have Sean Tyler, if Sean Tyler is not going to be your starting running back, which is what you brought him in to do. You brought Sean Tyler in from Western Michigan to be your starting running back. If he's not going to be your starting running back, then he should at least be your kick returner. Cause he's shown that he can take it to the house. Yep. I don't get it. At least give him a shot. Like just, just give him a shot. I, but we, I don't, there's no change. So, and I don't expect it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's mystifying, but that is, that is the Achilles heel for the Gophers is the continued poor play on special teams. But overall yesterday was a great day for the Gophers as they got a really important win. Yep. All right. Should we move it along? Let's do it. Okay. We have, oh, sorry. With the win, Minnesota moves to three and two. Um, We had the Maryland Terrapins 44, the Indiana Hoosiers 17. Total yards, Maryland 472 to Indiana 321. Maryland ran for 5.2 yards per rush to IU's lackluster 3.1 yards per rush. There There was a huge disparity in how effective each team was running the ball. Um, the passing offense had a similar disparity where Maryland had over twice as many yards per attempt than IU, who had uh, Maryland had 10.4 yards per attempt to just 5.0 for IU. On the first play from scrimmage, Leah Tugavailoa found an open Jayshon Jones for a 62 yard gain, and Maryland was off to the races. Uh, Tugavailoa threw for 352 yards, accounted for all six Maryland touchdowns leading the Terrapins to that 44-7 domination of Indiana on Saturday. And their first 5-0 start since 2001. Wow. Ty Felton caught seven passes for 134 yards and three first-half TDs for the Terrapins, who are 2-0 in Big Ten play for the first time since they joined the Big Ten. So that's a big accomplishment. So congratulations to the Terrapins. Um, Tugavailoa's five touchdown passes were one shy of the school record. So congrats to Leah for that. Um, Maryland's offense clicked from the start. Well, everything IU did seemed hard. IU put their defense in terrible positions with awful field position. Um, Taven Jackson was panicking in the pocket. He wasn't keeping his eyes downfield. He just looked like he really regressed in this game. He played, he's, he'd been showing so much progress, but he really struggled with accuracy and decision-making all day. 
Um, but to me, what sums up the game in the first quarter, Maryland started to drive on the Indiana 29 after the Hoosiers committed kick catch interference on a punt. The Terps needed just one play to score when Felton was left open over the middle for a second touchdown catch, which made it 14, three. And then after a nice punt return, Maryland started its next drive at the Indiana 21. The Terps needed two plays this time with tug of scoring on a 19 yard run. So like you can't win if you keep giving the opponent the ball inside inside your own 30-yard line. You're begging them to score, and Maryland was happy to oblige Indiana to take advantage of those mistakes. Um, Taven Jackson for IU, he eventually calmed down and made some plays, but by then they were down 21-3, and then he got yanked because he regressed, and then Brendan Sorsby had to come in and throw a couple late touchdown passes to make the score look a lot better than it actually was. So, John, what would you think about this one? It was just a dominant performance by Maryland. You know, it was a complete game on both sides of the ball. Their offense and defense is just, it's, this is a legit team. I mean, I I actually expect Maryland to upset one of those top three over on the East. Got a um, chance next week. I, yeah, I, I could see it happening. I really can. This team is really good. Yep. Talia could be the best quarterback in the Big Ten at this point in time. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, offensively, it's not even just Talia and their, their passing game, which is obviously incredible. It's their running game too. They've got like, they've got a three headed monster in the backfield that can, each one can do something with the ball. They, um, you know, they're, they're throwing to their tight ends, their wide receivers. I mean, it's just going at the ball. Everyone gets to play and it's really amazing to see this. And, and obviously we also saw Talia and how, how well he can also run the ball with the, you know, he had this really great um, read option for a touchdown that he just went in untouched. And that was this, this guy can do it all. And so I think, you know, for me looking at this team, you know, they've got such great discipline. They play hard, they play inspired, they want it and you can tell, but they're also having fun out there. And that's really great to see, which obviously of course you're going to have fun when you're just annihilating opponents left and right. But um, but it's also good, like we've seen in the past now that they can come back from a deficit. And so I'm liking the fact that that's pretty much come to an end and they're just going out there and they're playing hard and tough now for Indiana. Yeah. Like there was some early flashes from Jackson, you know, in the, in the Macaulay, um, connection looks pretty impressive. Sometimes it's just the thing with Jackson is you can see these flashes where he looks really good. But he's just so inconsistent. You know, one play so away. inconsistent. Yeah, he'll look fen- phenomenal one play and then just totally fall apart on the next. And yeah, I had that for, in my notes for sure. Yeah, and and then when you see when you saw Soresby come out, you know, like you saw, he may not have the athleticism that Jackson has, but he's got better touch on the ball. I think he sees the field better. Um, you know, so it's just it's kind of hard to say, you know, and he and Sorsby looks a little bit more calm in the pocket. Jackson does look like he's always kind of in panic mode. So you so got to go with that, that point. Um, Tom Allen said after the game, there might be a quarterback controversy because um, mm-hmm. Sorsby did throw those two touchdown passes in the final quarter. Um, Tom Allen said we have to evaluate everything and find a way to score points, but we also have to play better defense. The start of the game defensively was very poor and very frustrating. Too many explosive plays. So. He obviously evaluated something because he fired his offensive coordinator. Yeah. So if there was ever a time to make a quarterback change, this would seemingly be it with kind of trying to a fresh start with a new coordinator and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't I don't know. I, I honestly am not sure what the better option is if it's Jackson or Sorbs or Sorsby at this point. Because earlier in the year, Jackson looked far better. Yeah. But 
he just really regressed in the last couple games. Yeah, it's tough, man, because I don't think this offense is without talent. It's there. It's just Jalen Lucas is a player. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Lucas is is phenomenal. He was held. He was totally held in check, though. Yeah. He had seven carries for 28 yards and four catches for two yards. Yeah. He just it's 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 tough, man. I don't know what to think about this Indiana offense. Obviously, they're trying to do something to work with that. Um, so we'll see how, how it changes and if it, if it does improve at all moving forward, um, yeah. defensively, it just looked like they had just a total breakdown in coverage, like allowing like a, just a ton of huge scores. So that, that was also a regression in my opinion for their, that this Indiana defense that looked pretty good a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Agree with that. Uh, in contrast, Maryland, you know, in the past Maryland's had years where they were good offensively, but what the problem has been is defense and line of scrimmage play. And this year, they're second in the country in takeaways. Yeah. So they're getting, they're forcing turnovers. They're making plays on defense. You know, they're doing things to get the ball back in their offense's hands. And ultimately, they're scoring points when they do. And that's that's why they're 5-0, and because they're, they're creating opportunities and they're taking advantage of them. Absolutely. Yeah, this Maryland defense is probably the best I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Tarheeb still at five solo tackles and a TFL and Caleb Wheatland had two TFLs. Ruben Hippolyte had four solo tackles. So there were guys all over the defense making plays. Uh, Quashawn Fuller and Kellen Wyatt had sacks. So there were a lot of guys making plays on this Maryland defense and you got to give it up for I'm, I'm really excited for this Maryland Ohio state game. Absolutely. I think think the Buckeyes, I think the Buckeyes have bit off a lot and I'm not, I'm not saying I'm calling for the upset, but this is going to be a real, honestly, I, this is, could be a bigger test. Ooh, wow. Am I going to get in trouble if I say this could be a bigger test than Notre Dame for uh, Ohio State? I mean, I you get might in get trouble? in trouble. Are the Irish, are the Irish fans going to come for me? I mean, bring it on. But, uh, but, sec- but, <laughs> but other than that, I think you're right, dude. I think this is a bigger test. Like I, I may not have thought that earlier, but after seeing that game, and not that Notre Dame is bad by any means, but this no, no, Maryland no, Notre Dame's team, a very solid team. Yeah, Notre but Dame's this Maryland solid. team, I feel like has this has more explosiveness. There's way more weapons at their disposal. I mean, I, yeah. I'm more afraid of this Maryland team if I were Ohio State than I was uh, with Notre Dame. Absolutely. And, and can Lee I just is bring so up, dynamic? He is. And let me bring up one more point here because I just saw this on Twitter. How is Maryland not in the top 25 right now? Yet yet Florida was in it last week. And and what is it? A two loss LSU is still in maybe? Am I wrong? Yeah, LSU is in at three and two, but five and oh Maryland isn't in. You tell me that's not bias. Yeah. You tell me that's not pro SEC anti everybody else bias. Jesus. It is ridiculous. Like the people should get their votes taken away. Absolutely. Like AP voters, you can, if you're making votes like that, if you're voting, if you're voting two lost teams in the top 25 this early in the year, you should have your vote taken away. Yeah, it's, you're not paying attention. Yeah, this Maryland team isn't just like isn't playing just nobody either necessarily. Like they're and they're and the way they do win is just with Maryland's blasting people. Yes, they're crushing people. I would take Maryland over LSU any day right now. Oh, play it on a neutral field tomorrow. Let's yeah. do it. Yep. I'd love to see it. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. That's all. I just had to get that out. All right. No, I like it. Um, with the win, Maryland moves to 5-0 and and Indiana drops to 2-3. and Moving on to the next game, we have the number two Michigan Wolverines 45, 
Nebraska seven. Saturday was Michigan's first road game of the season. So mission accomplished there for the Wolverines. Uh, total yards, Michigan had 436 to Nebraska's 305. Nebraska threw one pick. Otherwise, there were no turnovers. Michigan had 38 minutes of uh, t- minutes time of possession to just 22 for Nebraska. Michigan ran 74 offensive plays, while Nebraska ran just 46 offensive plays. That is a huge disparity and shows how many more chances Michigan had offensively to make plays, which they ultimately did. Um, Michigan made fast work of the court Huskers scoring on their first three possessions and leading 28 zero at half. Jim Harbaugh was effusive in his praise for his team. It was an important task critical that we come in here on the road and play good football. And I thought our guys did that. And then some in all phases, Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh said, can't start a game better than we did today. Can't start a game better than we did today, said Harbaugh. And you can't argue with him. Uh, JJ McCarthy was efficient. He was 12 of 16 for 156 yards on 9.8 yards per attempt, two TDs and no picks. And Blake Corum also had a nice day. He had 74 yards on 16 carries. Well, Donovan Edwards continues to struggle on a yards per rush basis, but they're trying to get him more involved. So we'll see if that, you know, comes to fruition as the year goes on. Um, Nebraska's offense couldn't stay on the field on key downs. Nebraska was a combined four of 14 on third and fourth downs. Um, Harburg was 14 of 25 for 199 and one interception, which is fine, but he was unable to run the ball with nine carries for negative two yards. So even if you take out the sack yards, Harburg didn't have a good day running the ball. He had like one 16 yard scamper, but other than that, it just was not happening against this stout Michigan front. Um, You hate these kinds of losses. Nebraska coach Matt rule said they all count the same, but they hurt when you have this type of loss. And that's absolutely true. Um, I thought before he sat down, JJ McCarthy was in total command with his arm and legs. At one point, he threw a completion on an absolute frozen rope downfield right before breaking off a touchdown run. Um, I thought Michigan dominated Nebraska on both lines of scrimmage and at the skill positions. The Michigan D line was doing a good job of staying square to the line and controlling their gaps. And I don't know, man. I guess my question is, with Penn State's first half sluggishness today, is Michigan the best team in the Big Ten? What do you think about this game and, and this team? You know, this change, this last week or the last few weeks, Penn State did look like the most complete team. Um, and they still might be. Uh, but yeah, that last last week against or this last week against Northwestern has changed my mind a little bit because this Michigan team, I, I have in all caps just right at the beginning, holy smokes. This, this, <laughs> this Michigan team and, and all credits to Nebraska. Like, let's just put it this way. Nebraska for who they had to play against here, because they, they were just outclassed and, and it's not Nebraska's fault. I'm not even blaming them. They played as best as anyone could, I think, against this team in this game. Um, you know, Nebraska didn't necessarily look bad. They didn't make a ton of mistakes. It was just the fact that they were playing against a far superior team. Like, and I think anybody, most people in this, most teams in the country would look this way against this team against Michigan. So, uh, the thing is, is like Michigan for sure. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're playing bully ball. They run right at you and they just, they do whatever they want. And then you also have this this amazing quarterback, like you talked about this, like that the pass to to Roman Wilson in that first that first quarter was just incredible. I mean, like, that was a better catch than it was a pass. I mean, that was one of the most true. absurd TD catches you will ever see. 
and Roman <laughs> Wilson nuts. had that. And then he had another TD catch and he continues to impress on a weekly basis. Yeah. He had four catches overall. And other than that, Michigan spread it out to a bunch of different receivers. Nobody had more than two grabs, but, but Michigan also ran the ball a lot today and they ran it effectively. I think 51 times for 249 yards. Um, so it was just, it was just a, I mean, it was an overwhelming performance from the Wolverines and they should be getting number one votes overall in the country, I think. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that offensive Especially line, Especially after the way Georgia struggled yesterday. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. We need to make a point of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Michigan's not struggling like that against anybody and they've both mm-hmm. had soft schedules. Absolutely. And that offensive line of Michigan is incredible, dude. I mean, they're just shoving everybody around. Um, you know, and defensively, yeah, like like, there's a reason Nebraska couldn't get anything done. I mean, there was a few, few decent throws to, you know, Fedoni and, and a couple, you know, a couple other receivers that, that Harburg has. And I do think Harburg looks, he looks good, man. I I do think he looks good. I do think, I think he's better than Sims. Not that that's hard. Um, but I do, I do think he looks better. I think he's going to continue to, to impress. Um, he looks more comfortable. Uh, I know he had a huge, like a 56 yard pass to Marcus Washington to start the half, which was just right on the money. And it looked, it looked, you know, and so that to me right there is cause for hope. I know you got blown out Nebraska, but you've got some good things going for you. I think at this time, it's just going to take a little while. The thing that really, I think, well, it was just pouring salt in the wound. I don't think the game would have changed, but like, you know, all the penalties that ended up happening, happening towards the end of the game was just not helping anything, obviously. But overall, man, you know, it's just being outclassed by this Michigan team. You know, I know that Nebraska has a ton of talent and they recruit really well, but Michigan is just on its own level. You know, I don't know how else anyone can really compete at this time. Yeah, they are. They are a juggernaut and they extended their conference win streak to 17 games, which is the longest in the nation. Wow. All right. With with the win, number two, Michigan moves to five and zero, and with the loss, Nebraska moves to two and three. All right. Next game, we had Purdue 44, Illinois 19. Total yards, Purdue had 406 to Illinois 375. Um, the tail of the game was third down efficiency. Uh, Illinois was just two for 13 on third down. By contrast, Purdue was eight of 13 on third down, which was a huge advantage. Purdue eight, also had eight more first downs than Illinois did. Um, each team had one turnover, so that was a wash. For Illinois, Luke Altmeyer was 16 of 25 for 202 yards on 8.1 yards per attempt and one TD. His QBR was only 14.3, however, which is terrible. Um, for Purdue, Hudson Card was 18 of 26 for 217 yards on 8.3 yards per attempt and two TDs. So he had a good day. And Tyrone Tracy had a big game for Purdue, 112 yards rushing and a TD on 5.3 yards per rush. Purdue's coach Wyatt Ryan Walter seems to be listening to the podcast, John, as we saw Tracy get 21 carries to 14 for Devin Mockaby. This is the first time I believe that Tracy has gotten more carries than Mockaby, but he certainly earned them and should continue to get the lion's share going forward, I think. Yeah. Um, Isaiah Williams had another good game for Illinois with over 100 yards receiving. Deion Burks had a solid game for Purdue with 83 yards receiving and a TD. Um, for Purdue, Devin Mockaby, Dylan Downing, and Tyrone Tracy Jr. all had TD runs, and Purdue used a 21-point third-quarter scoring flurry to pull away from Illinois um, and give Walters his first home victory Saturday. 
I'm happy for our guys that they prepared the way they were supposed to, said Walters, who was spent the previous two seasons as fighting Illini defensive coordinator. When I get back home tonight and think about what happened, I'm sure I'll be smiling. Um, it was a bit of an ugly game at times, John. Bielema won an early coach's challenge and overturned replay review led to a Purdue giveaway. Illinois blocked two kicks, and even the scoreboard stopped working at one point late in the first half. Um, still, it came down to those three TDs. And then also, Illinois had too many mistakes, John. Nine penalties, five sacks allowed, three fumbles, one of 13, or two of 13 on third down uh, to stay in this one. If they don't fix this, they're going to lose a lot more games. What do you think about this one? Well, I'll start with Purdue. Um, and I want to start with the fact their defense. Because we talked about last week during the preview that their defense was the biggest question mark. Yeah, and I mean, bro, I called the Purdue defense the worst unit in this game. It was not the worst unit in this game. <laughs> no. That was no. the Illinois defense was the worst unit in this game. It was, yeah, yeah. Um, again, I think, uh, I do think that he's listening to the podcast. So um, you're welcome for that. Um, but uh, no, no, this, uh, honestly, man, like this offense is clicking. I think they figured out, uh, you know, their their mistakes. I think they've definitely improved. Card looks fantastic um, offensively. Obviously, we've got three running backs now that can all produce. Um, they, uh, they're, and cart get cart is getting these tight ends really included into the passing game now too. So it's good to see him throwing all over the field. Not that it's particularly yep. hard against an Illinois, this terrible Illinois defense. Um, but this, but Illinois, what I'm seeing, you know, I'll start with the offense. Um, cause there's a little bit more to talk about in some regard. I think like with the offense, what I'm seeing with Altmaier, I don't think it's that he's, he's not bad. He looks now he's running scared all the time because, and now he's making, he's indecisive. And so he's making more mistakes because he's running for his freaking life on every down. Cause that often I can't block. Nobody can block. Nobody. Not, not in the run game either. No. So it's like, of course, you know, he's, if he's making mistakes, like I don't put it on Altmaier. I mean, I know, you know, it's not, he's partially responsible for some of this, but like, I really can't blame him entirely because he's not getting any protection. He's not giving any time. He's constantly trying to run for his life. And so he's trying to make things happen and improvise on the run. And that's just, that's exhausting, man. So you, of course, you're not going to be able to focus and you're going to make mistakes. And that's what's happening in my eyes to him. And and so, you know, I know that they were down their uh, their top running back, um, but I don't know, man, this 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 Illinois offense. And I mean, and I don't really even know what to say about their defense other than that. It's just it's bad. I mean, for to give up 40, 44 points. I just. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's in, and this is so unusual too because this is just not your Bielema type of team, man. You know, no, I, they don't run the ball, they don't stop the run, they can't they block, they can't block up front, which is like the hallmark of a Bielema team. That's it. And so I don't know what is. I don't going know how on. you win games if you're a Brett Bielema team and you can't block anybody up front. No, I have no idea what's going on in Champagne, dude. It's it's a mess down there, and you know Brett's got to figure something out quick. Yeah, I mean, people are circling that game now, right now, with the disarray they're in. If they don't get it turned around soon, they're not going to win any more games. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, Purdue, 
Purdue now looks like a tougher out for people. I know they didn't look good against Wisconsin, but I think, you know, after that game, clearly Ryan Walters has put something together because this did not look like the same team. Yeah, I mean, it's Purdue is improving as the year goes on, and that's that's a tribute to their coaching for sure. Yeah. And even in a rebuild, I agree that they're going to be a tougher out maybe than we thought they were a couple weeks ago. Yep. All right. With the win, Purdue moves to two and three. With the loss, Illinois drops to two and three. All right. The next game will be our probably our briefest conversation. We had the Rucker Scarlet Knights 52, the Wagner Seahawks three. Uh, Rutgers had 28 first downs to Wagner's six. Total yards, Rutgers had 437 yards to Wagner had 106. John Wagner had 23 passing yards and 83 rushing yards on 2.9 yards per play. That was for both rush and pass, 2.9 yards per play. Um, By contrast, Rutgers' Gavin Wimsat was 12 of 19 for 146 yards for 7.7 yards per attempt and a TD. Kyle Manungai had 87 yards and 4.6 yards per rush, and five Scarlet Knights scored rushing touchdowns. Um, Jaquay Jackson led Rutgers with 71 yards receiving. John, I don't know why they play games that are this lopsided. I'm not sure we found anything out other than Rutgers can put a lot of guys in the game when they want to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And this is not a, this is not a, a hit against you Rutgers that we're not going to say a lot about it. Um, it's just the fact that you played Wagner. Um, that's not necessarily your fault, but it kind of is. Um, I mean, you scheduled this game, but you know, I know it's they're not close. The player's fault. It's, it's not the players' you, fault. It's yes. why are you scheduling a terrible FC? Not even just an FCS team, but a terrible FCS team. Yeah, I well, they're really close, but that's the only thing I can think of is that it's close right. in proximity. But other than that, yeah, yeah. no idea. Cheap travel. Uh, yeah, um, my thing, obviously, you know what I can say about this is this is without a doubt an RPO Kirk Shiraka offense. Oh yeah, um, like absolutely, it is just textbook. Um, so good to see that. Manungai, um, of course, with inside inside zone, twenty five, thirty times a game, soften yeah. that, hit that, throw that RPO behind you, slant behind your linebacker. Yo, yeah, Kirk. <laughs> um, but it was good to see they they put in some design runs for Wimsat. Obviously, the running game looked fantastic. Uh, Wimsat, my only issue still is is man, he floats that ball. Like there's just not a lot of zip when he, when he passes. And, and I get, I get nervous when he starts to play, obviously some, some really good defenses that's gonna, that's gonna bite him in the butt. So, but you know, defense still looked good. Um, you know, I know it was Wagner, but Wagner really only had two or three opportunities to that even got close to scoring. And I think they then, you know, only got a field goal out of it. So, um, I think, they had some trouble on the return coverage, uh, but then they also had an amazing 88 kick return, 88 yard kick return. So um, it's, I don't know. I, I overall, it was a dominant performance. Some, you know, absent minded mistakes here and there, but overall, you know, what it, 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 everything happened exactly as we expected. Yep, exactly. All right. With the win, Rutgers moves to four and one with the loss. Wagner drops to two and three. All right. Um, The best game probably of the day. We had the Iowa Hawkeyes 26, Michigan State Spartans 16. Total yards. Iowa had just 222 yards of offense in a win, John. 222 yards of offense to Michigan State's 349. Um, 
Their passing offenses were each tepid in production, both for Iowa and Michigan State, but Michigan State ran the ball significantly better than Iowa did. They had 156 yards rushing on 4.9 yards per rush to Iowa, who had just 61 yards rushing on 2.3 yards per rush. So Iowa flat out cannot run the ball, which is surprising. Yeah. Um, that said, John, the worries we had about this game came to fruition. Sparty killed itself with 94 yards and penalties and four turnovers. Iowa had two turnovers by contrast. Uh, Noah Kim once again threw multiple interceptions with three. Um, I thought the Cade McNamara injury changed the entire game. Before that, Iowa was a threat to throw the ball. After he went out, Deacon Hill really struggled in relief at just 4.3 yards per attempt. Um, Noah Kim struggled as well for Sparty with three picks on just 4.4 yards per attempt. So like we said, neither passing offense was particularly effective. Um, I thought, so it was interesting talking about this Iowa offense, Iowa won the toss. They took the ball. They had a really solid opening drive with inspired play calling. They got a field goal out of it. Brian Ferentz scripted drive worked. So off so often Iowa's first possession is great, but then once he gets off script, things just go south for Brian Ferentz. And I'm not sure why that is. Yesterday was no ex- exception because I asked myself, how will he do off script? And the answer is not very well, especially after he lost his QB, which granted makes it a lot harder. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it came down ultimately to Cooper DeGene. Cooper DeGene's 70-yard punt return with less than four minutes to play helped give Iowa a 26-16 win over Michigan State. Um, Iowa's Ethan Herkett recovered a fumble by Michigan State wide receiver Trey Mosley on the Spartans' next possession to help clinch the win for the Hawkeyes, who lost starting quarterback Cade McNamara to a left leg injury in the first quarter and trailed 16-10 early in the second half before rallying. Uh, the bigger story right now is the resilience you saw from all our players. Iowa coach Kirk Ferentz said at the end of the day, that can win a lot of football games. And then for Iowa, as always, special teams were effective. So not only did they get the punt return touchdown, but Drew Stevens had four field goals for Iowa, including that 34 yarder with 59 seconds left, um, to push it to a two score game. And what was, this was definitely not a two score contest. This game was in doubt right up till the very, very end of the game. John, what'd you think about this one? Yeah, again, um, Iowa's defense and special teams wins the game for Iowa. Uh, There is there was little to no help from their offense. Um, I didn't see anything there that uh, really inspired me. Two hundred and twenty-two yards. That is that is not much offense in a win. No, I mean, you saw Deacon Hill and Eric all make some good connections and that looks pretty good sometimes, but inconsistent. A lot of drops from the receivers, though, um, by yeah. Iowa. Like that was yeah. that that's a problem, which we talked about before that, you know, do they have anyone that they can really throw to and rely on? But yeah, man, I mean, Cooper DeGene is incredible. Um, that defense is very good. And like you said, you know, Iowa, if they they'll if they win the turn, turnover game, they will make you pay. And they did. And Sparty shot themselves in the foot. You know, they they could have, I think, won this game had they just kept the game cleaner than they did. Um, but Oh, they absolutely would have won. They yeah. were ahead 16 to 10. Yep. In control with the ball. I mean, when they started turning it over. Yeah. And that's it. The mistakes just killed them. And 
But what it is, what I am glad to see, you know, if they and can Iowa just get, buries you, man, when you make mistakes like oh, that, yeah. Iowa buries you. Every, they have a killer instinct for that. Yeah. That if you give and, yourself, if, if they'll give you enough rope and if you hang yourself, they'll they'll get the job done and make sure you finish it. No, it's it's ingrained in that program. And but Michigan State, you know, Carter continues to look great. Um, I do think yeah, Noah Kim is better than what we've seen. Um, I don't think that offense is bad. It's just mistakes. You know, if they could clean up those mistakes, they could still win some games. I know next week is probably not going to be that game. Um, but but uh, it's not bad. They just still need to fix those mistakes. And if they could play a cleaner game, they could still win, a, win maybe a couple, two, two or three more, I could see. Yeah, I mean, Sparty's competitive. They have the juice to do it. It's just kind of the same story every week with them. They shoot themselves yeah. in the foot with turnovers. They commit stupid penalties. Um, you know, they had some bad luck in this game. Malik Carr had six early catch or straight catches early in the game before getting banged up and having to leave for a while. Um, but it's just, it's tough in East Lansing right now. Yeah. And they're yeah. just I'm sure they're all distracted off the field and it's just it's leading to these performances on it where they're doing enough to be competitive but they're not doing enough to win the games. And I know we're going to talk about this in the preview podcast but like where does Iowa go from now without Cade McNamara? Cuz I I don't know if he's coming back. Yeah. This really seems like it looked yeah, bad. It yeah, looks bad. We knew this was going to be an issue. He was going to be dinged up all season, but now I'm like, I don't know if this it's if it's even it was safe a non-contact injury. Yeah, and those this are yeah. I and Deacon Hill, man, he maybe you can build an offense around him, but he's not very mobile either, and his accuracy was pretty all over the place. Yeah, um, he did have some, the receivers did have some drops, so they didn't do him any. And you know, maybe you know. I, like I said, I'm not going to count Iowa out. They're at four and one. They're kind of in the power position right now in the yeah. West. But um, but without Cade McNamara, I really I, I'm with you. I don't know. Are they going to be able? They've already had such an anemic passing game. Does the passing game get even worse at this point? Yep. That's because um, because because they can't really afford for it too. it needs to get better. It's not been good enough. They need it to get better, not worse. And without Cade McNamara, where does that go? It's a scary time, man. I don't, I'd be nervous. Um, you know, for all we know though, knowing this, knowing Iowa and their track record, they could still somehow back into the, in, into winning the division. Um, cause you know, that, that tends to just happen in, in Iowa city. I mean, they backed into winning that game last night. You know, yep. they had Sparty, Sparty looked like they had them. They had them right where they wanted them. And I was I was just thinking, oh, wow, it looks like Iowa's going to lose this game. And then Cooper DeGene, man, yep. he had that interception before he had the punt return. And he's just a smooth athlete, dude. He he's, is. Oh, yeah. He, the way he the way he moves out there and he's just like, there's no point throwing the ball at him. No, <laughs> like I wouldn't throw. I'm not throwing the ball anywhere near him if I'm playing Iowa. Nope. Don't give him the chance. No, he's he's incredible for sure. So, and they, and I was always got at least one guy that like that. Yeah, real difference maker. He reminds me of like this is going way back in the day, but he reminds me of Tim Dwight a little bit. Hmm. And okay. I, and, you know, they have him returning kicks, and he's just kind of a super athlete. And he can play as a slash, and they ultimately, I think Iowa used to play him on offense a little bit. We'll see if 
I don't I'm not saying they should play Cooper DeGene on offense because I don't want to see that. I don't want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> he, but, might be, uh, he might have to. Who knows? I mean, if, if they, they the injury bug still keeps biting them down the down the line, man, they may need him to, to play both sides of the ball. Yeah, they need somebody. If if nobody steps up at wide receiver in the next couple of weeks, I, I don't know what happens. And it's like you've got Iowa's got Wisconsin looming in a couple of weeks. Um, and they're going to have to be ready for that one. Yep. All right. With the win, Iowa moves to four and one with the loss. Michigan State moves to two and three. Well, John, we said we weren't going to go very long, but here we are already in minute 57. So. All right, we managed to we managed to talk ourselves into nearly an hour long podcast once again. <laughs> yeah, well, it's still slightly under an hour, but yeah, I think this is you know we we made pretty good time. We did. I think we covered more than we expected, and I think we filled in more on Rutgers than uh, I was intending. So that's good. We did that. I know it was the more than the ninety seconds I thought we were going to give the Rutgers Wagner game. Yeah. <laughs> so well. I will go over this one more time then um, before we cut out here. Um, if you want to find us, this is We Live for Saturday podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, and Podcast Addict. And again, if you want to look us up, please follow us on Twitter. It's at We Live for B1G Sat. That's at We Live for B1G Sat. We Live for Saturday. Please give us a follow. Please give us a review. Five stars would be awesome. Constructive criticism. Whatever, man. We'll take it. Or just hate our criticism. You can just hate on us. Give us That's a five-star review and hate on us as hard as you want. Yes. <laughs> We're cool with that. All right. Well, as always, thanks for listening. And we are excited. To, we'll be back in a few days with the preview episode for next week's games. So uh, for We Live for Saturday, this is Mike, and I hope you have an awesome week, and we'll see you soon. All right, take care.